0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by The Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 platinum jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Before we start the podcast proper, uh, we have a little favor uh, to ask our esteemed listeners. Would you vote for us in the inaugural British podcast awards in the listeners choice category i'll give you the address in a moment andy
1: yes we are reduced to uh, issuing a plea to you here at the beginning of the podcast but i'd like you to think about this if you like us and what we do it is an opportunity to register your approval for it which is one thing but also as we all know, the democratic process over the last year has taken a real bashing. And I like to think, uh, following <laughs> the disasters of Brexit and Trump, yeah. that here's an opportunity yeah. to show that the people can do the right thing once in a while. So please uh, feel free to... Um, I think you're only allowed to vote once, and that's as it should be.
0: That's what we call integrity. But um, um, Unless you have more than one computer, in which case, fill your boots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to you're know. You're muddying the ground. <laughs> so, Anyway, so the message message from Backlisted is basically work on your democratic uh, deficit by voting for us. Uh, It is www.britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. And
1: um, if you feel minded to do that, thank you. If you don't feel minded to do it, slightly smaller thank you. But we still hope you enjoy the next hour of
0: chat coming up now.
1: So on Tuesday I was up in Letchworth Garden City. I think I'm right in saying the first planned garden Indeed. city in the UK. And oh, do you know when it was built, Letchworth? Is it the thirties? Uh,
0: it, it may even be earlier than that. I think I don't know. I mean, it's, so, it's still. I tell you who would know. Yeah, go on. Meat, we could. Of course he would. T- t- give us a small lecture.
1: But I think it, I I was told that it's still owned by the people. The the same people. So it's uh it's kept you know. In good shape, it was I, I thought about moving to Letchworth. I absolutely loved it, notwithstanding the fact that it's suffering the same kind of closed shops and everything else. But the, there's a fantastic Art Deco cinema and theater there. There's David's bookshop and record shop, which has been there for decades, which is where I did my talk. The talk was sold out. It was great, lovely people, enthusiastic many of whom decided they would read War and Peace. So, uh, so, yes, so Letchworth, let's all move to Letchworth. Let's do let's do this podcast from David's Bookshop. David's Bookshop, if you're listening to this, we'd love to come and um, set up our gypsy caravan
0: in your <laughs> front room. Um, <laughs> We're getting quite a lot of uh, requests from bookso- bookshops, which I think is something we definitely, we definitely ought to think about doing. It's, but I think it would be a really good thing to do in a bookshop.
1: I would love yeah, to do that. Yeah. I would love to do that. I like that, the idea of that kind of... You know, 70s Ronnie Lane (laughs) travelling circus uh, (laughs) set up. But but we're talking about old books, right? (laughs) Old books,
0: we got (laughs) them. You don't have to be alive to be (laughs) on (laughs) backlisted. Actually, it doesn't help. (laughs) help. Oh, should we start? Why don't we? um, Um, Hello and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. You join us around the kitchen table at the slightly dilapidated rural French townhouse of our sponsors, Unbound, the website which brings authors and readers together to create fabulous books. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound. I'm Andy Miller, author of the year of Reading Dangerously.
1: And uh, joining us today is Claire Conville. Hello, Claire.
2: Hello, hello, hello.
1: Formerly an editor at Random House, Claire is a literary agent at Conville and Walsh. And we will be asking you questions. Uh, searching questions. <laughs> searching questions. Penetrating about questions. <laughs> about the craft of <laughs> agency. <two. laughs> and Claire is also co curator of the Curious Arts Festival, which takes place in Hampshire in July, and this year has a lineup which includes Andrew O'Hagan, Tom O'Dell and Ed Byrne. Though not
0: together at the same
1: time, <laughs> or have you got a panel?
0: <laughs> no panel. I, it's, a
2: good, it's a good idea. We might set one up. No,
0: no, no, I think so. So, the book Claire's here to talk to us about is A Sport and a Pastime by the American writer James Salter. Now, this is a sort of, per, one, of one of those books that, that kind of looms large in anybody who sort of reads fiction, American fiction of the 1960s. This is one of those talismanic books. We'll come on to it in a moment, but it's mostly known for being a kind of the high. Watermark of uh, erotic writing, yeah, if, if there is such a thing. But we'll come on to that in a moment because I have to ask: as is traditional <laughs> on backlisted, <laughs> is this podcast suitable for work? <laughs> yeah, it, think, uh, which are we going to? It depends d- how much of the book we decide to read. There are definitely some passages, but uh, t- ripped, as they say, out of context, <laughs> would they mean very much? Keep listening, you'll find out. <laughs> Andy, what yes. have you been, reading, what have this I been week? reading
1: this week? So I've been reading a book of short stories by a Welsh writer called Dorothy Edwards. So the thing about Dorothy Edwards was that she was born in Glamorgan in Wales. She was educated at a boys' school. She was permitted to do whatever she wanted when she was growing up by her extremely liberal parents. And then as soon as she left that world, she found it tremendously difficult to get along. She starts writing stories and she is picked up by people like Arnold Bennett, and is introduced to Virginia Woolf, Duncan Grant, Vanessa Bell, etc., etc., and sort of goes through a period in the early 30s where she is considered amongst literary London to be a tremendously exciting discovery and then, very unfortunately, sort of behaves rather badly or in a rather uncouth way in several contexts and is dropped by that set... And on the morning of the 6th of January 1934, she burnt her letters and papers and threw herself under a train. A note was found in her pocket which is thought to have read, I have received kindnesses from many people, but I have not really loved any human being. So it's a very sad story. And her books were obscure, in fact, until the mid-1980s when both Rhapsody, this book, and Winter Sonata were reprinted by Virago, as John just said. And so this had been recommended to me several times. It's a great favourite of writers like Niven Govinden and Dan Rhodes. It is in print, Rhapsody, currently, from Parthian. There's a Library of Wales edition <coughs> of this book. And... She's one of those writers, those writers of short stories, who I would say perhaps has simultaneously has something in common with someone like Catherine Mansfield, yet at the same time is nothing like Catherine Mansfield. It's a very peculiar... It's like a cross between Catherine Mansfield and who's the author of The Young Visitors?
2: Oh, Daisy
3: Ashford. Daisy
1: Ashford. So it has this peculiar okay. mixture of naivety and sophistication. I'm just re- going to read you the opening paragraph of a story called Days, which I, I said on... Uh, on twitter is sort of this is almost a, this is one sentence it's almost a perfect short story in its own right it's called David mr george moan the novelist began to write about the people and the scenes of the district around his old home only when he was already over 40 And almost as soon as he had begun to be recognised for these novels as a very great artist, it suddenly seemed to him that all he should ever want for the rest of his life would be to live among these old scenes. And he immediately bought a house a few miles from the house where he was born. And since then, he has hardly been seen or heard of. (laughs) It's it's like a tiny, compressed... Story that's the beginning of a story. And what the thing, the thing that all these stories have in common is that they all have... The reason it's called Rhapsody is they all have music, the playing of music or listening to music in common. But at the same time, she writes in this fascinating way. I, I read somebody saying about her, this, the sentences start in quite a, an orthodox way and then they spin off somewhere. You would never expect them to go. And there's so much left unsaid between the characters. They're stories about music and... I don't know heartbreak but they're funny at the same time so lovely to find the point is so lovely to find a writer hiding in plain sight (laughs) who's not really like anything else that you've read who once you've read it becomes that very strong i mean flavor do you know what i mean
0: kind of um, straight out of the you know backlisted
1: you know, I, I, I would be surprised if we didn't at some point do a yeah, whole no, I'm, episode I'm, about her.
0: I, I, I'm also slightly relieved to hear that she's not the Dorothy Edwards that wrote My Naughty Little Sister. No, she's, she's really very much little not little that time. Dorothy Edwards, <laughs> no. <Epstein. laughs> uh, which for a while, I was sort of, yeah, it threw me a little bit when mm-hmm. I, I looked at her, I googled her, I thought, this can't be, this just there's doesn't an, sound like Annie. There's another bit. She was also the Dorothy Edwards who was uh, one of the team that produced... Listen with mother.
1: She, not that Dorothy not, Edwards. the
0: same. The same. So I
1: hope we come back. And the point is, I'm sort of making an open plea here that we
0: maybe come
1: back to Dorothy Edwards because I, I think there's loads more to we'll, say. Well, we'll obviously her. have
0: to pass it to the committee, but I think it uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. So,
1: uh, so, yes, the committee. <laughs> what, what, John, <laughs> meanwhile, have you been reading?
0: Well, I, I found an amazing first-hand account of a, of a shepherd... No. Um, <laughs> no shepherds this week. Uh, shepherd-free week. But what I have been reading is, uh, I think, a, a beautiful... I mean, really beautiful collection of short stories by uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen, the uh, Vietnamese American-Vietnamese writer who won the Pulitzer Prize in 2015 for his remarkable... Kind of experimental novel, *The Sympathizer*, but this is a s- collection of eight stories called *The Refugees*, and it's it, it's it's interesting. It's been interesting reading it with with at the same time as Salter because uh, he writes almost in that kind of uh, classic American short story way, um, but about experiences which are uh, uh, you know take you right outside the, the the narrow kind of middle America experience. It's about people who are coming, largely coming to America, not all of them, not all of them. Each story is almost like if you were going to explain the refugee experience, you're going to explain what it feels like to be in a, in a foreign land yes. with a different culture and a different a, a, a different tongue, and how you have to assimilate yourself. But it's done with such, with such fictional kind of intelligence. Each story, the, the, the opening story, which is called The Black-Eyed Woman, is about a a ghost writer. She's a Vietnamese girl who came over on a boat, has become a ghostwriter, and is visited by the ghost of her dead brother. Mm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just a beautifully worked story about how she she loves her work because she can erase herself. And in a way, her whole life is, has been erased. And then she has the conversation with her brother, who was obviously a ghost, but he spent the last... Fifteen years swimming across the oceans to get to her, to, to deliver this story to her, and she is forced for the first time to to um, to be to revisit that that voyage. That I mean, the, the nightmarish voyage where she was obviously her brother was killed, thrown yeah. overboard. So there's that story. There's another remarkable story about a Spani- the, the main character is a Spaniard who has had a um, who has had a, a, a transplant. Uh, a, a liver transplant and he f- gets in touch with the person who's given his transplant who uh, is a Vietnamese guy and they form a friendship and without giving the story away <laughs> it's just a brilliant idea of he has a bit of Vietnamese mm. inside him and he they en- he ends up going out and they have delicious f- food and the guy is a young hustling Vietnamese uh, kind of entrepreneur there's this brilliant twist at the end of the story, which I won't tell you. But Nagoyan's skill, I think, is to give these stories, to write them, you know, at no point. The prose is so exquisite yeah. that, that the, 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 it's total control in that way that you get, I think, with very, very, it's very rare with any writer. But it's a beautifully constructed, each story, in a way, the eight kind of form a, a sort of perfectly balanced uh, form of, of 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 analysis, but uh, it's that thing. It's you know you're always expecting. I, I guess the idea of refugees and the and the background, the political background of this. You're you're you know you, you you might pick it up with a slightly heavy heart, thinking you're going to be lectured at, but this is just brilliant, mm. top you of know, your game fiction.
1: So can we repeat? Who's
0: this? Was it called? Who's it's called? called The Refugees, and it's by Viet Tan Nagoyan. Now.
1: So that 's a book of short stories. Dorothy Otter, that's a book of short stories. James Salter, famous for writing short stories. I read out an entire short story by George Saunders on the last episode of that listed Claire as an agent. Mm. <laughs> when your client I remember from my publishing days when your client says to you, "Good news, my next book is short stories." What are the challenges that you have?
2: well I'm a great believer in supporting my writers in what they want to do so if they say I want Good to write answer. a collection of short stories then they can write a collection of short stories but probably I have to perhaps prepare them to be a little bit realistic about what they can expect in terms of a publisher's response a level of advance and finding an audience for those stories okay. but funny enough it will come on to it Sarah Hall who has done this very brilliant introduction to A Sport and a Pastime which is what we're here to discuss manages to combine sort of wonderful book of shortlisted novels with collections of short stories, and that's almost a sort of perfect way to, do yeah. to achieve uh, her goals as a, uh, an artist and writer. It if you can do the both, uh, that's brilliant. However, of course, there are people who are brilliant and their form is the short story, and I'm thinking of Alice Munro in particular. Well, and, well, uh, uh, mean, Carver Tom, but the and
1: thing is, here's the thing. I mean, we, we probably read more short stories... As a result of you know, uh, being writing and publishing and book selling, folk, Um, but the public appetite for short stories, is it small? Well, I
2: think I think if. if and publishers need to be really savvy about it because I think actually more. You know, a lot of people are turning towards audio, a lot of people are using different mediums to, to, to read and experience books and I think the short story is a perfect form, you know, if you want yeah. to kind of be on the tube or you want to be walking into work or you want to something that you can slip into and it's 10 minutes 15 yeah. minutes as, a mo- as opposed to sort of three days of intense reading so I think the short story with, with, with some thought and care and some canny marketing could yet um, find its place.
1: Well, and also, going back, as we will time and again over the next few months, I suspect, we're going back to George Saunders again. You know, The fact is, George Saunders is in his late 50s. He's just published his first novel, oh, which yeah. is going to be massive and is brilliant. We talked about it last time. But he has built a career on hmm. 20 years' worth of writing short stories and essays. And, oh. and, his, and his books are, have been you know they sell very well and they're very well published, well, they think, think of them as being. Yeah,
2: I mean, I would say that he was a cult. Really, he was a cult writer until his last collection, which then hit the the New York Times bestseller list, and I think that transformed his sort of profile yes, kind I of sure internationally. You're right. Yeah, um, I think he's brilliant and highly original and very left field. But uh, that's the the interesting thing about publishing. You have these books that suddenly become phenomenal, and at Mm. the end of the day, you don't necessarily know why. I mean, you can you can praise them for their qualities. You can love them for their writing. You can. can, But what what turns a book from say what turns a book of short stories that might sell five thousand copies to selling? Eight hundred thousand copies. You know, who knows?
1: That's what's so great. I always, I mean, I always think that that's what's so great about about it. In mm-hmm. fact, that if we knew what did that, it would be a much more boring I mean, uh, right. <laughs> industry to work it, in. It's so, it's, it's,
0: it's, a, it's, you know, it's a vexed question. It always will be. But you know, if you're sitting inside a commercial fiction house, um, I remember there was always the pressure. That, you know, it needs to be longer needs to be fatter needs to be longer need, people need to feel that they that this is an investment in time that they're going to make with a set of characters it's going to have a beginning a middle and end um short stories you know i've read short stories that are in a way as epic as as big fat commercial novels but they do it with a concision and they do it with 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 language and they do it i mean you know i think if you're you know what we talk about when we talk about love is this, there's a whole... I mean, Carver has captured in an epic way as much as anyone else the great... The, if, you, if there is such a thing as a great American novel, I think it's there in, 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 a, in, a, in those two or three great Carver collections. But I and suppose it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a weird... It's a weird marketing issue, isn't it? It's just if you... And I guess what people want when they read on... Where do people read fiction? Who are the people who read fiction as a sort of a, as a as a way of... Uh, 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 other than entertainment on a beach read, who are the people who read it to, to in, uh, illuminate and mm. inform the way they live their lives? And there are, we know there are plenty of them out there because, you know, they come to literary festivals and they go and they listen and they, and they will buy, I think they will buy stories.
1: But we were talking about Maxwell a lot, yeah. obviously, because, first of all, we... Had Kit Devall with us to talk about William Maxwell, um, talk about "So Long, See You Tomorrow," and then we read a story which David Miller really loved, uh, called "Love," very short short story by William Maxwell. And actually, John, what you were saying about Carver there really struck me. I, I've I've thought so much about those Maxwell short stories since I read them yeah. about how much there is inside oh, them. Uh, you know,
0: the, the one the "By the River" one, mm. which is a, a novel. I mean, it's mm. cause there's there's so, but I guess that. I don't know. There's there's something about a story, isn't it, that you tend not to get digressions. You tend not to have, you know, a story doesn't just suddenly leap into the, the mind of another character into the into. I mean, it does happen, but there's a, you can feel that you're 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 being, in a way, you're being pushed towards a, a, a conclusion in a way that isn't isn't the same for. A, for a, and no, novels can be baggy and complex. I mean, I'm I'm reading the the, the Saunders at the moment and loving it, but it's. It's, it ain't a short story. No. It, it likes to
1: wander. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Salter, of course, James Salter, who we're here to talk about. Yes. Uh, the uh, as it says on the front of my copy of the collected stories here, a master yeah. <laughs> of, of, the, of the great American short story. A uh, master storyteller, if you will. And um, there's a couple of stories in here that later on I might talk about a little bit because, actually, I thought they were phenomenally good. Um, and... and- and I should, and I, yeah, and I should. Ma- little declare, masterpieces of compression as well. A,
0: uh, I should declare an interest. I was, I was at Harville when we published his fabulous, uh, in my view, uh, memoir Burning the Days, and we also reissued uh, a Sport and a Pastime. Um, and you did um, Light Years as well. Uh, I think that was also re- reissued. Yeah. yeah, we'll be back in just a sec. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the
1: gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no. The perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So, whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
2: Hi, I'm Avantika Chilkoti, host of the Modi Raj, a new podcast from The Economist. Narendra Modi has watched over a period of rapid growth in India, but he's also the front man for a chauvinistic Hindu nationalism. Now, he's eyeing another term as Prime Minister. What will it mean for India and the world? I've been trying to get inside his head. Listen now to the Modi Raj from The Economist. Wherever you get your podcasts.
0: For sport in a pastime, I hadn't read for 20 years, and uh, going back to it was really fascinating because it was both better in some levels and not as good on other levels as I'd remembered <laughs> which is what you'd expect from a book but I'm, I still come as a massive Salter fan and Well, we,
1: we should say that uh, A Sport in a Pastime, as Claire just said has just been reissued by Picador as a Picador classic with a new introduction by Sarah Hall and
0: Paul Bagley, who is the publisher of Picador is a massive Salter fan as well Massive is obviously my word of the podcast. Yeah. Indeed, he, indeed he, he is. He and, and um, he was at Harvill when we, when we, re- when, both when we published Burning the days and reissued.
1: So S- S- Claire, when when did you first run into either Salter or this book or both? So
2: um, in fact, um, my beloved author Sarah Hall was the person who introduced me to James Salter and she's been a massive fan of his work for many years. And indeed, met him I think, and he was a great supporter of her work. And uh she, you know, really encouraged me to read him and I started with Light Years, which I would say
1: This is mid seventies. Yeah, now, which
2: uh, which I say I enjoyed, but not as perhaps as much as I thought I might. But anyway, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh and uh, I, I, in my spare time among many other things, um I host a book club at the Society um bookshop in Soho and um uh, we decided we would read a portion and pastime, so I've come fresh from that book club, uh, where oh, about 20 good. people shared their views. When uh, was that? That was on Monday. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Great. So, so, there was ringing a... Ringing with those... Uh, ringing yeah. with a very interesting and uh, quite comp- complex response to the book.
1: Just just tell, tell us about... that. You were talking to me about the book club earlier. The book club sounds really interesting. So, you choose what kind of books? So,
2: we, we choose collectively uh, our, our, because we're in Soho and because we didn't want to do the Normal sort of Richard and Judy <laughs> choices. Yes, uh, we decided that we would Iranian only side. choose we would <laughs> only choose books that were either transgressive or compulsive or both. And Ooh. by transgressive, it didn't have to be sexually or emotionally transgressive, it could be stylistically transgressive yeah. in its own way too. So we've done a really interesting collection of books. Like wh- me- what have you done? We've done Therese McCow, we've done The Haunting of Hill House, yeah, we've oh done yeah. by Grand Central Station, I sat down and wept. We've done The Lover, um, and the yes, list goes Margarita, on. Absolutely. And our next book actually is going to be Master of Margarita.
0: Brilliant. So
2: it's an unusual collection, and we have anything from 20 to 40 people turn up. And uh, my job is to ensure that everyone um, feels engaged and can take part and offer their very, often very interesting and rather com- complicated responses to the different books it we sounds read. sounds
1: brilliant. So anyway, so you did, um, your group did a sport in the pastime by James Salter on Monday. How did it go?
2: It went very well. Most people absolutely loved it. There was debate about whether it was a masterpiece or whether it was just a really good book. Um,
0: a minor piece. There was
2: one... <laughs> a minor piece, yes, it's perfect. Uh, um, but one... What was interesting, some uh, very nice uh, friends of mine called Anne and her daughter Emma come, and Emma picked it up a week or so ago read 15 pages and hurled it across the room and said, I think this is absolutely ghastly and I don't want to read another word. At <laughs> which point her mother picked up the book, sat down and just read it all the, straight, all the way through right. and said, this is one of the best books I've ever read. So we have okay. very extreme views. Really,
0: even within the same family. Even
2: within amazing. the same family. Well,
0: I think that might be the key to this little old minor piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of somebody who read it when I was younger.
1: So had you... So, you just to recap, so that was your so you've read this for the first time quite recently, right? Okay,
2: and I I have to read it twice really before we do the book, just so I can be sort of properly on my toes on it. Um, and uh, I I, I, I was swept away by it in one sense. I thought Mm. that the uh, that love affair with France Mm. was sort of incredibly evocative Mm. and beautiful, and as a child of the 60s. I remember that very well that France was you know France was yeah. beautiful and stylish, and the food was wonderful and we used to go on the ferry and you know the old car and sort of yeah. stop in restaurants and it was just it felt like another world, so I loved that aspect of the book very much um, and I think I was um I mean the structure is very clever I think the relationship with the narrator and the two central characters obviously is uh, lots to think about and talk about whether I think it's a masterpiece I would would be cautious about saying that and also given that it is um, classed as a great piece of erotic fiction I didn't particularly find it hugely erotic
1: I th- I, you know, the thing is, I'm glad you said that. Because I've, I have to say, I read this book, I've slightly... In some respects, not in all respects, some respects I slightly dreaded talking about it. Because I have to say, my, I, I feel like I'm confessing something by saying it didn't do much for me either. I, 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 I was more, how can I put this, more... Bored than I was um, um, titillated. Uh, titillated. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But, but, but I, I, I agree with you, Claire. Words. That the that the particularly the first fifty pages were, are superb. I mean, superbly yeah. written.
0: We should read just a little um, bit. John, do you want to? Have you um, got a bit? That got, you want to read? Got, well, I th- <coughs> just wanted to say before we get on because I think that you can't talk about this book without talking about sex. But there are other things you can talk about. France, which you already mentioned, food, travel. Well,
2: food is very important in the book. Yeah. Um, but I suppose I would say, when, I mean, what I would say before, I mean, I'm going to the reading, but I, I didn't find it to say to but it felt like a love affair to me, rather than an yeah. erotic I,
0: I, yeah. journey. Yeah, you know. no, I agree. I, I think, well, my, I'm putting my cards on the table <laughs> early, which is, I think it is, it is the most perfectly realised presentation of the kind of relationship Sexual relationship you have in your twenties, when you don't really know who you are or where exactly you're going, because this or what is you the, want. or what you want, and it's it's one of those books that actually I realised that there was a lot more going on in this book when I first read it, which I suppose I would have been a lifetime and about th- nearly four children ago. I I didn't really. I don't think I. I don't really think I understood the sadness of it. And there's a there's a there's a brilliant. Somebody says that that everything you need, everything you, the themes that, 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 that Salter writes about is are basically sex and women, valor and sadness. And I think that there's there's sort of all of that in mm-hmm. in this book. But we should say that that, as Andy said, I mean I think the thing is anybody anybody who's interested in in writing, just in writing, purely as you know, if you want, ha, ha, I'm, a, I'm in a French hotel room and I'm looking out of the window.
1: Yeah. How can I communicate that? Let me let me read this yeah. part because that's exactly th- there's there's two things in this section which relate to what we've just been talking about. I'm awake before dawn, five forty-five. The bells striking three times far off, and then a moment later, very near. The most devout moments of my life have been spent in bed at night listening to those bells. They flood over me, drawing me out of myself. I know where I am suddenly, part of this town, and happy. I lean out of the window and am washed by the cool air, air it seems no one has yet breathed. Three boys on motorbikes going by, almost holding hands, and then the pure melancholy, first blue of morning begins. The air one can bathe in. The electric shriek of a train Heels on the sidewalk The first birds I cannot sleep I stand in line in the shops No one notices The girls are moving back and forth Behind the counters Girls with white faces With ankles white as soap Worn shoes going at the outside toe Dresses showing beneath the white smocks Their fingernails are short In the winter their cheeks will be splotched with red Monsieur? They wait for me to speak, and of course it all vanishes then. They know I'm a foreigner. These are notes to photographs of Autun. It would be better to say that they began as notes but became something else, a description of what I conceived to be events. They were meant for me alone, but I no longer hide them. Those times are past. None of this is true. I've said Autun, but it could easily have been Auxerre. I'm sure you'll come to realise that. I am only putting down details which entered me, fragments that were able to part my flesh. It's a story of things that never existed, although even the faintest doubt of that, the smallest possibility, plunges everything into darkness. I only want whoever reads this to be as resigned as I am. There's enough passion in the world already. Everything trembles with it. Not that I believe it shouldn't exist, no, no. But this is only a thin, reflecting sliver which somehow keeps catching the light.
0: Well, the good news is that that was a bit I was going to read, so that's. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Was There you go, because it's so, bit. It's so it's good. It's so good. And yeah, that's I the agree. thing you have to say about Salter is he is, I think, Raymond, uh, Raymond Richard Ford said, you know, sentence for sentence. Which is the best version? He's the best American writer of his generation. I mean the thing about it is which is what I, th- I guess we're going to talk about maybe we should go to blurb because it well I want to I want
1: to lob this in before we go to blurb okay. which is simply you you said you know we, what we've been talking about is the phrase he's the writer's writer yeah now the phrase the writer's writer reminds me of a thing that Stuart Lee says about being called the comedian's Just comedian, comedian. <laughs> what he says that means is it's a backhanded compliment yeah, yeah, yeah. saying only other comedians find you funny yeah. and I've or,
2: more, 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 perhaps more practically, your books don't sell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in this case, <laughs> I mean, it's probably true. true, right? The truth, <laughs>
0: the truth about Salter is that, that his, his books have never sold to the degree in which the esteem to which he's held. Yeah. And that <coughs> it, it is sort of what I've been trying to grapple with when I've been reading and rereading this stuff. Because everything, in a way, is there, but there's something, there is something... Uh, something really odd missing and I'm not quite sure what that is. For
2: me, I tell you what, I think he, I think the beauty of the prose, it's rather like a very charming man, to flex you as much as it invites you in and I think that <laughs> is um, good, yeah. uh, that yeah. is kind of one of the f- features of the writer, so it's incredibly beautiful prose, it's it, the, the sentence construction, the imagery, that sense of on the train, in the car that, you know, flowing mm-hmm. through this book as France rushes past you. Um, but I feel sometimes we don't drop deep. He
1: he. Uh, there's a very interesting his his Paris Review interview is uh-huh. very good. And yeah. he and the, oh, there it is. And but he he talks in that. I have this quote here about where he's talking about. I think Claire. I feel with the prose. Sometimes there's a sense of him admiring his own prose perhaps too much and it can be slightly can hold you at arm's length mm. as you say and he says this about it they, they ask and they say to him what, what is it paragraphs that work for you or sentences work for you which is a similar question to they, that that they, the paragraph review puts to William Maxwell in fact and Salter says I'm a frotteur <laughs> Someone who likes to rub words in his hand, to turn them around and feel them, to wonder if that really is the best word possible. Does that word in this sentence have any electric potential? Does it do anything? Too much electricity will make your reader's hair frizzy. There's a question of pacing. You want short sentences and long sentences. Well, every writer knows that. You have to develop a certain ease of delivery and make your writing agreeable to read. And the thing about that is, I think in the section that we, would, we just heard there, there is uh, a sort of rhythmic sensibility to that. As I was reading it, I was thinking as this goes on, this accumulates in a really sophisticated way. It accumulates both in sound and in imagery, you know. Uh,
0: he, he's, um, okay. he's a writer who is obsessed with food okay he's a, he's a connoisseur he's a he's a gourmand and I just wanted to read this from from uh, the, the, the the I mean it's extraordinary memoir and well I mean he's also a pilot okay so yeah, he's we're gonna, ma- yeah so he's a man <laughs> who spends a lot of his time on his own you know suspended in space you know he writes more brilliantly than almost anyone since Saint-Exupéry I think about that 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 about that freedom of mm-hmm. being above the earth and looking down. So this is what he says about, um, about the book. It was my ambition to write something. I had some, stumbled across the words. This is from Lorca, in fact. I'd stumbled across the words, Lubrica ipura," pura, licentious yet pure, an immaculate book filled with images of an unchaste world more desirable than our own, a book that would cling to one and could not be brushed away, and then he goes on to say, during his writing, I felt great assurance. But I think that idea of trying to create something that is perfect and, and jewel-like, um, even though obviously you know the characters are, are described. I mean, they're, they're, of, they're very of the world, particularly particularly Anne Marie, the girl of the book. I mean, he, um, I think there's something in the end that, that that defeats your your ability to defeats your empathy. I think maybe that's Mm. what you're saying—that you kind of can't quite. Philip Dean, who's the who's the who's the kind of the main character, is a bit of a dick. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that's. uh, I mean, you know, which is not, which is no, you know, you can write good, great novels about uh, about idiots, but uh, but uh, maybe the only reason I wanted to blur because I think you can't get to the heart of this book unless you unless you. And the blurb will do is the Picador one. It's the way they present presented that makes the book really interesting, but also problematic. So here's the blurb from the Picador Classics edition. Certain things I remember exactly as they were. They are merely discoloured a bit by time, like coins in the pocket of a forgotten suit. In 1960s France, two men meet and become friends. One of them is Philip Dean, a footloose Yale dropout, arrived to tour provincial France and Paris in a borrowed, once-elegant car. When Dean meets Anne-Marie, a young shop girl, they begin a feverish love affair. The other man, our unnamed narrator, can only look on, tell their story, and imagine their sensual paradise. First published in 1967, A Sport and a Pastime established James Salter's reputation as one of the finest writers of his time, and this book is an undisputed modern classic. Remarkable both for its eroticism and its luminous prose, it is a novel that explores the boundaries between what is dreamt and what is lived, between body and soul. And then we have slender, cynical and bruisingly sexy, exquisite, The Daily Telegraph, and as Lolita is a kind of valentine to Nabokov's adopted, gorgeously vulgar America, so a sport and a pastime is a valentine to Salter's France by no less than Joyce Carol Oates. Anyway, so the point about this book in a way is that it's not you're not in the head of Philip Dean and you're not in the head of Man Anne Marie, you're in the head of the unnamed narrator.
2: Well you are and you aren't, I think, because you know, what I think one of the very interesting stylistic things about the book is that our narrator sometimes enters the space with them. It's almost as if he's sort of he's disassociated and he's looking down at them from um, a, a, a great height. Um, so he's both there and not there. And he, again, in the Paris Review interviews, he describes it as being like a, a narrator on stage. He's moving everybody a, a, around. Yes, but he's that's not right. actually He's not actually a, active in the space. But, but he that. also
1: says about that narrator... Now, the narrator has that kind of Nick Caraway Great Gatsby oh element to him. But he also... They ask him... Uh, They say there's a postmodern side to the book and the narrator indicates that he's inventing Dean and Anne-Marie out of his own inadequacies. Do you know what Salter said? I found this fascinating. So that's just camouflage. (laughs) He said the book would have been difficult to write in the first person. That is to say, if it were Dean's voice... It would be quite interesting written from Anne-Marie's voice, but I wouldn't know how to attempt that. On the other hand, if it were in the third person, the historic third, so to speak, it would be a little disturbing because of the explicitness and the sexual descriptions. The question was how to paint this, more or less. I don't recall how it came to me, but the idea of having a third person describe it, somebody who's really not an important part of the book, but merely serving as an intermediary between the book and the reader... Was perhaps the thing, perhaps the thing that was going to make it possible, and consequently, I did that. I don't know who this narrator is. You could say it's me. Well, possibly, but truly, there is no such person. He's a device. He's like the figure in black that moves the furniture in a play. Yeah. You know, I find that fascinating. Or a porn you know, director maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but the idea that that he was sort of was willing to say, well, that's what I had to do. The 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 narrator needs to be a blank. In some wait, wait, ways it, it, just to distance you from what's happening in the book
2: yeah I mean at the book club one of the sort of premises was that actually he's all three that he's both male and male female and narrator and yeah. um, uh, I felt that was a credible idea actually um, in
1: the yes speech, that's that fascinating the, the,
2: the, there are all aspects of who he is
1: we have got a clip of Salter talking to Richard Ford about the publisher's response to a sport in a pastime when he first handed it in so we're just going to have a, yeah. a listen to that now
4: a sport in a pastime i had written and uh, submitted not to george first but to my previous publisher and then to another publisher they turned it down and i mere through a friend It was sent to george yeah. in that very type type pages and uh I've told this before. He called up and he said, The book is wonderful. He had kind of, you know, he had that uh, <laughs> special Exit. way of talking. <laughs> he said, The book is wonderful. It's just that I love it. I like to publish it, but no, n- 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 no good book is written in the first person, he said. <laughs> <laughs> no really good book. And I couldn't think of an answer to that, of course. I couldn't think of a good book. <laughs> the only thing I could think of was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which mm. was an early book I had read, and I knew the first line of. I said, what about that? He said, you're right. And uh, that was all the editing that was done, actually.
1: <laughs> 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 the book was not edited. So. Now we, we this is we have a, a backlisted uh, first where Claire uh, you have something that you want to say uh, about a sport in the pastime and then we're going to hand over to a surprise guest like in a relay yeah. who's going to pick up it's from a, Claire phone, phone a friend moment.
2: <laughs> I mean I think uh, it it was as I said in the book club I think that the the, the final analysis or the final agreement was that. We thought it was a wonderful book rather than a, a, a masterpiece. I, I think the other conclusion was that uh, we found it a book about a love affair, but we didn't necessarily find it erotic, and that mm-hmm. the the sex and the love in the book felt very real, you're very present. It's, quite, it's written in quite a detailed way, uh, but it didn't feel fetishistic to me or... Right. or or wildly unusual and I wonder whether that's just a change of sexual mores or whether in the 60s it would have been a much more Mm. um, I'm certain it would have been a much more if we think that Lady Chattery's Lover was actually banned um, that in the 60s it would have perhaps been a much more risking book than it appears now but for me and for many of the other people in the book club it just felt like it was uh, as John says a love affair of people at a certain age at a certain time in their life Mm. Uh, And for me, it was romantic and sweet rather than sort of titillating and pornographic.
1: I would like to say thank you to Claire. And now Claire, (laughs) Claire (laughs) who has to leave early, um, is being seamlessly replaced (laughs) by surprise, surprise, everybody. We're joined by... uh, Former guest once again, lovely Roman Pelling. Thank you for coming back.
3: Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I'm very, very delighted to be allowed to talk about filth once again.
1: <laughs> this, is almost, this is almost too... You arrived slightly late. This is almost too perfect. So the Claire has thrown down the gauntlet and run out of the room, <laughs> saying, yeah. saying, saying, well, it wasn't that erotic. Well, what would you like to say? Well,
3: this is actually the book that I most recommend as a great example of erotic literature. This is my number one recommendation; has been for years. Haven't changed my position on it. I, I'm really confused by the idea that things can't be tender and romantic and about really understandable, visceral, yeah. real sex and at the same it, time. It's the most I trigger think, you.
0: I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it, the sex is. If I found it, if I found the book painful to read. It's only because I felt immense nostalgia for that kind of erotic, Mm. complete erotic reverie that... I don't, I, you know, without going I'm not. I'm not. i don't. I can't I'm la- quite see that I'm la- that's going to happen again. I'm laughing because Rowan. But I'm because Rowan doesn't know just, what we. What I said yeah, earlier. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm, I am sorry to talk, tell you, wrong. I've got. I've got to be consistent for listeners True. to say that I said earlier. And I felt bad about confessing this. That the book didn't do much for me.
3: No, I've I've heard that from other people. I I did a panel once with Neil Pearson, the actor who's a great aficionado of erotic literature, and he said no, it didn't move him. But I don't require my erotic literature to be particularly fetishistic or extreme. Mm. I do require it to take me somewhere in the imagination. And what I think makes it so special is the framing device, is the fact that it's narrated, is the fact that we know to a large degree this is the narrator's fantasy, that he is watching two people and imagining the sex. And that, to me, is really, on a quite simplistic level, pervy. It's kind of beautifully, erotically, um, sometimes sadistically, because he's torturing himself. Mm. And self-torture is the truest part, I think, of eroticism, that we put ourselves in situations where we're frustrated and thwarted. And uh, this book does this to the reader, it does this to the narrator. And and we know that the thing we're reveling in, this seemingly, uh, you know, this this incredible, Incredibly beautiful central relationship, which is for both these people, obviously the moment at which they really understand what it is to feel deep, sort of life-changing passion, something that consumes you, where you don't think about anything else. And yet, it's a narrative about fiction, isn't it? It's it is. really about um, about the stories we tell.
0: The, the narrator is 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 the writer, yeah. and, and uh, there's something that he says that uh, in the Paris Review interview that I liked. He said that fiction is a very crude word the idea that stories are invented, that purely come out of the imagination. Mm. He said, you know, things like dialogue. Dialogue is really difficult to invent. You kind of have to... So that fiction is always a sort of uneasy negotiation between... Your, your, your imagination and the things that are actually happening to the characters in the real world.
3: What I think is erotic about this book is manipulative. Yeah. And, and I think that's true, again, about, about eroticism, that you you know when you feel it in your life at its most extreme, very often you're being manipulated by somebody, maybe just by circumstances.
1: Do you mean, when you say manipulative, do you mean as well, I mean, we, we talked earlier on, about the extent to which he he manipulates the reader because he's saying well this is this happened, but it didn't happen yeah. it could have happened yeah. it's up to you, the reader to be to 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 decide what'm how much of what I'm telling you is true right
3: yeah, that's exactly what i mean yeah. and, I, and i I think it's it's sort of perverse of both the reader and the narrator. We all willingly enter into this strange journey where you're going this is incredibly titillating we shouldn't know these details about this couple it seems to me more intimate than almost any book I can think of and and the way they progress through things just in the way people do in in the most extraordinary erotic relationships Uh, and and it would have been more taboo then and I think you feel it with the force of the past you know the blowjob the anal sex all these things that simply are not in literature of that period let's face it and and but it's tender at the same time and yet you know that this is someone saying, this is what I feel these two people are doing. It's, I find that so strangely perverse, and, and um, you know, you, you're being placed in a position where you don't really know anything, but you're being, um, you know, the storyteller is there, bringing mm. you along about someone else's love life. You shouldn't be in the bedroom with them. I, I find that's maybe what's that's, so... Maybe that's I,
0: the thing about that, that makes it, because it's so... It, you know we've already said it, so it's it's beautifully exquisitely brilliantly written but it's it's difficult it's difficult to empathize with characters that you feel are sort of being manipulated for for somebody else's titillation <laughs> yeah. i mean there's a lovely thing he says here which i think the the thing i really like and i the, the thing i didn't get 20 years ago or 25 years ago was just how sad the rela- the, the central mm. relationship is how the the central relationship is almost immediately it starts. It's, mm. it's beginning to end, which is a kind of really... Yes. So he says, yeah. duration is everything. One knows that instinctively. It hangs over the two of them like an unpronounced sentence. It lies in their bed. All of Anne-Marie's joy proceeds from the hope that they are only beginning, that before them is marriage and farewell to Autunne, while like the negative from which her dreams are printed, he perceives the opposite for dean every hour is piercing because it is closer to the end mm. and that without giving too many spoilers away kind of that in that paragraph is the whole of the that's when the book is good and psychologically true and strong i think it's that it's 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 almost it's very good i, I agree Rowan. i think it's very good in terms of in terms of that the abandonment Mm. of sexual passion but it's also very good on on just the deep sadness of what the fuck yeah. is love anyway well there's something i think in the introduction that sarah hall says that captures that which um which is yeah i don't think i can read that without giving um i mean this weird the book is is quite perverse because it's it, he is he is sort of fantasizing you know that, that, that philip dean is a kind of a you know, he's a, he's incredibly masculine. He's incredibly yeah. well hung. He's incredibly mm. you know, comes like a bull. You know, it's a sort of weird kind of. It is a weird sort of c- cuckolding fantasy in a way. A yeah,
3: absolutely. I think that's what makes it feel so true. It's funny that it, it's most fanta- fantastical. It feels emotionally most true, and I, and I think it is a very sad. Story. I mean, it's right from the beginning. I, I set myself an exercise actually with erotic texts. I was looking at beginnings and endings, and all the really great ones were fantastic all the way through. They were quite concise, mm. and the central point was there. And I think you're right, John, that it's about time running out. I mean, it starts September. It seems these luminous days will never end. And what's that telling you? They're going to end really quickly. Yes. We all yes. perish. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. gather ye rosebuds while you may. The whole thing mm. is. Is, is so limited, and it's such a fragile it's story.
0: All, it's all, it's, you know, he's a traveller, this thing about Salter, he's a traveller. They, they always is rootless, they, these characters are rootless. She goes back to see her parents, but it's brilliant. And also the, 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 that, the anger that he feels when he feels that he doesn't want her to have any life outside of him.
1: Mm. Salter's description of, I mean, he, his description in an interview, but I think the phrase is around in the book as well, of France as a secular holy land.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the idea
1: of constantly travelling yeah. through this landscape which cathedral is, towns yes, and, he, and there's dust. A, there's a quote where he said the book is Hotels. about the book is about, he says Sex and architecture, yes, <laughs> and the relationship between those two things. Yeah, surely, you
3: know, that's surely. Um, <laughs> isn't it also about Americans' love of the great, the grand tour of of this, you know, this lost continent? Yes. I mean, she is sexier simply because she is French. Yeah, you know, if you yeah. could understand what she's saying, if she was American, saying exactly Sc- the same thing, he breath. would not love her.
0: Yeah, the breath thing. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yes. yeah. I mean. Yeah. I'm interested, I'm interested. But
3: that cruelty is so intrinsic to Salter's writing.
0: I just think
1: I should say a little bit about Salter. James Salter, born James Arnold Horowitz, born 1925, died 2015.
0: Yeah, really recently. So he
1: was born in the Bronx. He was briefly at school with Jack Kerouac. Did you know that? I didn't know that. What a class that must have been. Um, Salter graduated, he went to West Point in 1942, trained to become a fighter pilot, fought in Korea and uh, left in 1957 after 12 years in the U.S. Air Force to pursue his writing after the publication of his first novel, The Hunters, subsequently turned into a film starring Robert Mitchum, mm. about a fighter pilot. That book is about a fighter pilot the films, about a fighter pilot. In the 1960s, he writes screenplays alongside the novel. He's quite active in Hollywood. Um, and he, he writes six novels altogether... The Hunters in 1957, The Arm of Flesh in 1961, which is revised and republished many years later as Quesada. Uh A Sport in the Pastime is 65? 67. 67. Mm-hmm. Then Light Years in 1975, Solo Faces in 1979, then there's a 34-year gap before the next novel, which is called All That Is, and that's published in 2013 when yeah. Yeah. he's 88 yeah. and gets superb reviews. Amazing, if I remember rightly. <laughs> And he also wrote two volumes of short stories, and uh, one brilliant. of which I've read, Dusk, which I, which, um, great, I read, which is magnificent, I must it's say. It's a uh, superb collection. Um, so although I've expressed American Express, one of I, my uh, stories. I've expressed slight reservations about a Sport and Pastime. I express no reservations about the short stories; they're wonderful. Rowan's got a head in her hat. <laughs> um, a,
3: a sport in a um, I so, think it's so important that the listeners gather this is a masterpiece. Do not listen to what anyone else says. <laughs> I, it, it is, it is a, absolutely a masterpiece. I it is perfect. I'm, there is I'm, not I'm, one word I take out I'm,
0: of it. I'm coming down on the on, on Rowan's side more than I think I'm, I am on Andy's. All I would say is this: Because that, Claire, my, my buddy has left the room. So <laughs> <laughs> so I'm,
1: I'm now isolated. I know,
0: I, all, I'm saying, all I'm saying is I think that there is... That there's something, I can see why people, there are, there are people have problems with, with Salter because I think he's too, he's maybe too in a funny kind of way this book is is too it, it's almost too clever for its own good. It's
3: contrived and he's yeah. cruel. When people yeah, don't like Salter, they mm. don't like him because he's cruel. And mm-hmm. Light Years, which I think is equally a masterpiece, again, yeah. there's incredible cruelty there, as well as a tenderness to the central female character, mm. a wife who has affairs and then, you know, ages. And, and of course, it's very hard for people now to read a man who is talking about a woman being so old and lost and her beauty fading when you work out she's sort of early 30s. <laughs> um, and, and there's a bit of that in a small well there's, the objectif-
0: there's an issue with, yeah, the objectification of Anne-Marie in the book is, is you know, you could, there is, for some readers that is going to be an issue. Well,
3: what is the history of eroticism, if yeah. not the history of know, objectifying both men and women? Look at Greek art, objectifies boys. I mean, you know, it's an uncomfortable part, but that's part of it, looking at the body in that way, looking at beauty and its fleeting you know, appeal, the way, the way it's so fresh, so vibrant, you'd do anything to possess it, but it is going to yes, disappoint you.
1: I agree, I agree with that, Rowan. I, I, would, I would slightly say, though, that as a reader of this book in uh, 50 years after it was written, that the um, objectification of the female character did cause me problems. Uh, I can see that yeah. in the era in which it was written, it has that very sort of male expressionist... Henry Miller, like forceful, this is the truth about stuff, yeah. <laughs> right? Which you also find. In, I, I read the Ginger Man a couple of months ago, which I also found a very tough read because Don Levy. Yeah. Don Levy, it's very funny, but you know what? It's also colossally egotistical. Can't
0: wait till we have the, the Lawrence. Mail, you <laughs> Can't wait for the Lawrence podcast. Uh, <laughs>
1: and so I, I feel slightly, I, I feel totally torn on this because I don't want to say this in such a way which would discourage anyone from reading the book. It's a wonderful book. There's fascinating things in it. But a modern reader coming to it unprepared will be slightly taken aback, I think, at the way in which the female characters could be said to be
0: used.
3: Yeah, and um, funnily enough, we probably wouldn't feel uncomfortable at all if those genders were reversed and it was a slick, sophisticated woman and a slightly hick yeah, bloke. Yeah, you know,
0: that, that's, I guess that's, that's kind of what history does.
1: The thing about Salter is, he is the classic... Going back to this thing we were talking about earlier, you know, that writer's writer, the classic... It seemed to me to be the epitome of a certain kind of American... (sighs) ..fine prose. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm, That It's almost generic, in fact. And, um... uh, But... But Salter's career also suggests, you know, that he did... (sighs) He, writes not, he wrote the novels that he wanted to. He also wrote poetry. He also wrote essays. He also wrote about food. You know, yeah, it, the classic ones. American man of letters yeah, yeah. In, in, a, yeah. in a way that um, we could point to other uh, people we've talked about on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that he... This, it, this is a mark of all the great writers, really. He clearly wrote when he had no, when he had something to say, and when he didn't have something <laughs> to say, he didn't.
0: He didn't. Yeah. What's and I, yeah, I mean, I I I, I love this. The, the, you know, always. This, this is a. I have to say that of all the books we've done on pop, on, on Badness, I underlined more of this book mm. than any other, just in t- terms of you know. <sighs> That doesn't mean I think it's the best book we've done, because I, I, I don't. But I do think it is. I do think it's remarkable. But I love... This is, this is a great... This is a key sentence in the novel. I'm not telling the truth about Dean. I'm inventing him. I'm creating him out of my own inadequacies. You must always remember that. Yeah. And yeah. that is... You, all, you almost want to have that at the front of the novel. I am creating... Yes, and my own inadequacies and
3: and, and don't you understand that excuses him everything excuses him the objectification (laughs) it does he's saying I'm an inadequate man I wasn't even allowed to get anywhere near this girl of course I'm a sexist pig I mean I think the reason I like Salter is because he's so honest he's so brutal Mm. I forgive him everything and by the way his writing yes is very contrived it's very stylish it is epitome of that kind of really glossy erudite you know unabashedly elitist um, American writing of a certain male now mostly dying off but he does it better to me than for me he's the best
0: line Mm, by line the best
3: I I have I I don't have my home copy with me just as well because as John (laughs) says I have more lines underscored but also in light years and also in the hunters and also in his memoir burning Mm, the days mm, mm. And, and he says so many things better than anyone else will ever say them. So, you know, I think he has to be forgiven all minor quibbles because he's just ravishingly truthful.
0: I don't think we can do better than that. Follow that. Um, We can't. I think, and and it's, I have to say, uh, he wrote wrote some damn good books and some great stories.
1: (laughs) I really love this episode. You know what I'm saying that I'm showing letting the wires show now. I really love this episode because it's been totally slapdash. Matt just spilled a load of water, <laughs> the table, right? Is we've we've managed to do it by the seat of our, our pants, pants right? Yeah. But you know what I, I I feel I feel the discussion of the book has yeah. actually totally enriched my understanding of the book, and, and I, now, if you'd asked me an hour ago. I would have said, yeah, it was okay. Now I'm really, if people are listening to this, if you're still listening, <laughs> if you're still here with us, you must read this book. I, I think the fact that we've had four different points of view around the table, we all feel quite strongly about it.
0: That's great. That fits exactly what I feel too. As I feel, I, I feel it's really good when you get to test the stuff. And I didn't know really, I did know up, up to a point what I thought about it, but I feel more strongly having, having listened But I love, I mean, this is a good bit of Psalter to go out on, which is, we write, because all this is going to vanish. The only thing left will be the prose, the poems, the books, possibly even the journals. What is is written down? We're very fortunate to have invented the book. Without it, the past would completely vanish, and we'd be left with nothing. We would be naked on the earth. And that is, Mm. I have to say that 's pretty that's we, we can nail that on the uh, on the backlisted uh, clubhouse wall. seems real shame to have to say uh, that that 's where we end, but that 's where we 're going to end. Uh, thanks to Claire Conville and also to Rowan Pelling, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a composite guest uh, t- tag team uh, uh, we've, the like of which backlisted never seen before. Thanks to producer Matt Hall as ever, thanks to our sponsors Unbound. you can get to, to us on Twitter at BacklistedPod, on Facebook at backlisted. And on the Unbound site at unbound.com forward slash backlisted. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a fortnight with another show. Goodbye.
1: You can choose to listen to Backlisted with or without adverts. If you prefer to listen to it without adverts, you can join us on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backlisted, where you also get bonus content of two episodes of Locklisted, the podcast where we talk about the books and films and music that we've been listening to over the last uh, couple of weeks.